to The Anthroposopher, where we bring anthroposophy to life through interviews, conversations, and explorations. I'm Laura Scavatici, your host. In this episode of The Anthroposopher, I talk with John Bloom. John is the author of several books, Inhabiting Interdependence, The Genius of Money, and Saucy Tomatoes and Blueberry Thrills. On this episode, we discuss the social life of money and what humanity should do in 2021 to address the problems facing us all today. I think you'll find the answer to be quite personal. Hope you enjoyed the episode and hop over to anthroposophy.org to find all of our webinars, our podcasts, interviews, and how to join the Anthroposophical Society. John Bloom, thank you for joining me on The Anthroposopher. So nice to have you here. Glad to be here. Um, we get to chat a lot because we work together um, in your role as the general secretary. Some people might not really know that term, um, but basically um, we work together every day in the Anthroposophical Society. The thing I think you're most well known for um, is your puns. Uh, so I'm hoping you bust some of those out during our time together here. No pressure. No pressure. I know puns are meant to be spontaneous, but... Um, and, and no fair either. And no fair. <laughs> um, but also, I know you um, were most recently the vice president of organizational culture for RSF Social Finance in San Francisco, which is a really progressive funding institution. And I think we can talk about that a little bit more. I just want to mention one of your books is called The Genius of Money. And so I know, you know, it's one of your areas of expertise, and I'm hoping we're going to get into that a little bit. There's so much going on in the world. And as the general secretary, again, no pressure. Um, I think that your perspective on what's happening um, in current events and what we're all struggling through right now in the midst of this pandemic and political challenges and unrest is super important. And that bringing that spiritual perspective to people as you do through your letters that you send out to our members um, has been critical. And I know there's a letter that's just out that talks about this binary sort of perspective that we have right now happening in the world with masks and no masks and all, all sorts of things. Um, it's one way or the other for many people, but maybe we can just start there a little bit. So. Yeah, well, thank you for raising that question. It is, it is a, a complicated one uh, because one of the other sort of binary narratives is spiritual material. And um, if you are really working out of the perspective or an anthroposophical perspective, you know it's both, right? Um, or you really wouldn't be involved with anthroposophy because it is actually trying to understand the spiritual world and how it manifests in the material. That's our, that's our task. And not only that, but then how do we work with help, transform, heal the material world such that the spirit that is trying to show up and that we're in service to actually shows up in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, you know, the notion of spirit itself is a fairly abstract concept, but when somebody has an insight or their life is lifted or they are inspired or otherwise, that's a, that is, those are not material things. Those are experiential pieces. And that is, um, to me, that's a, a measure of both in, uh, how we, how we recognize what's truly important in life uh, the notion of love, which is certainly not material, not material at all, right? And we need that warmth. We need love. We need to be loved in order to feel human. So I, I, when somebody says, oh, that spiritual stuff, that, you know, that's nonsense. 
I try to, to I try to imagine their lives without that. Right? It would not be it would not be a very enjoyable place to be. So, you know, the warmth, the cold. So we we always, uh, and I think we're often educated in in how to think through life in polarities. Um, and by that, I would also say even in like for example in color theory. So somebody always says, oh, complementary color, colors, those are actually opposites. And actually that is a flaw because the word itself, complementary, actually means completion. In other words, they complete each other. So they need each other to be whole. And I actually think our desire for wholeness is what moves us in life. And when we lose that desire, uh, things get very cold and feel very isolated, we get withdrawn, or it, it just is, you know, we talk about being interested in a world, well, what is, what's interest, right? Yeah, gosh, what a, an amazing explanation of spirit right there, and what spiritual means, um, and when you connect it to a concept like love, it's really um, so relatable and tangible for every single person, and I think that last comment that you're saying about wholeness, I just, I'm just thinking of my family in the midst of this um, pandemic and my kids and how we, we've been, <laughs> all the Waldorf people are gonna boo at me in a minute. No, I'm just joking, but we've definitely been more connected to screens than we have been before. And that sense of life, um, like I can feel like the difference between like having fun and, and watching a show over time and like, you know, sitting all on the couch together, but there's something um, that's not whole in that because I'm not actually facing or interacting the, with the person next to me. Um, and so uh, I think trying to find wholeness in this time in particular, as you're saying, you know, we split things um, into, you know, two factions often. I think that living in the pandemic um, has really just made that even more apparent how, mm -hmm. how, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on one hand, um, it has individualized experience, right? So three people sitting on a couch watching the same show have three different experiences, right? And, and what happens as a result of that is um, you can passively receive that and you know maybe you're entertained and then it's over and it stops or you can be actively engaged with that and you're you're kind of looking at it and trying to take it in and make meaning out of it and you know something inwardly is happening uh, not just a passive receivership okay so that's the situation what if uh, you say okay we're going to watch the following show and when we're done right we're gonna have a little dialogue around what we experienced from that show. So that actually, uh, first of all, you're lucky to have three people together. That's number one in your pod, uh, but you can, <laughs> right? But then you can actually say, so how, what was that experience for you? Because there's a quality of intimacy in that, that maybe we haven't paid attention to before because, you know, well, okay, show's over and we're gonna go outside and meet a bunch of other people, over, right? But in this case, you can't just run out and do that. So how do we take that, that moment, that opportunity to kind of live more deeply into it out of not only having our own experience and trying to understand that, but have others reflect their experience back and something then emerges out of, um, out of that interplay, hmm. right? And yeah. you, could do that, you could do that online as well. 
And, and you know, it, it may be not quite as, as intimate in, in a way, but it also is, it's intimate when you are openly sharing experience, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think that I mean, when we <clears throat> move into these like binary positions, we're not openly sharing experience often. We're just right. in our own experience, right? It shuts down the flow between us. Um, exactly. I can definitely, I go right inside myself in my opinion and why I'm right and why that's wrong. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good way. I like how you can even um, have some critical thinking about my family watching a show that was really great John <laughs> I appreciate it but yeah so so back back to this idea of go, going into oneself and, and not being able to see the other I guess sure yeah so I mean and, and the thing is that um, I, I'm pretty sure we're all busy trying to make meaning out of life and and it is if you're in a situation where you can explain things as either good or bad or hot or cold um, it does make that process ease much easier, um, but it also loses something in that process, which is um, maybe it's both, <laughs> right? And and can I see how it's cold for you and warm for me? Because then something human emerges out of that. The degree to the, which we get stuck into the polarities or into that binary narrative, it's dehumanizing, right? It's cutting us off from the opportunity of seeing others experience, other people have different experiences and those experiences are valuable. And maybe another person might actually have influence on me, right? In a way that changes me. And actually, if you do biography work, if you really look at your own life, you're actually the result of, you know, how many other people's experience. So you've actually been formed by other people. Why do we suddenly decide we want to cut ourselves off from that possibility? Mm -hmm. And the people that challenge us the most are, are sometimes the ones so critical in our biography that have helped exactly. us change. Yeah. 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 So, um, I, I mean, I had a very dear friend who was a teacher and he said, um, uh, you learn the most from teachers who either, uh, challenge you really challenge you because they've seen who you are and and push the limits or people or the teachers who bore you to death because uh if somebody's boring you what are you not doing inwardly right to keep that interest alive i mean not that there aren't people who are <laughs> there maybe there are people who are a little bit you know unexciting or otherwise but that's my responsibility as the person receiving it so every other human being in this earth showed up to bring something into the world. And, and it, it doesn't have to necessarily be in a package that I needed to be in or I expected to be in. I need to be open to the fact that, you know, that person is doing what they're doing and there may be something there that needs to be awakened in me. And that's my job. That's my job, not somebody else's job. Right, exactly. And I mean, that that is how we grow. That is how we help humanity evolve by by doing that job that you've just right. said that's yeah. that's yeah and it's a responsibility honestly it's it's beyond a it's beyond like a nice ideal i would say at this point it's a responsibility for sure especially for this point we're in right now um well i it for me it is uh i think um it's part of a healing impulse um but it's hard to get to the healing impulse until there's agreement that there's a shared problem. Right, right. 
yes, because I could be like, well, I don't have a problem. You, you, you have a problem. Yeah, you are the problem or you have a problem. Right. right, exactly. Right. But there has to be some agreement there. So how do you think those kind of agreements get formed? <laughs> I'm just thinking like, of, you I know, always it's very, think, yeah. it's hard to answer that in the abstract. I mean, mm -hmm. I know, um, uh, if I'm, for example, at a point in a conversation, and I'm feeling like I'm not somehow there, you know, the connection is just automatic. Sometimes we meet people and there's automatic connection, but, or it's a stranger on the airplane, you know, who, who knows where there's not a context for it. Um, for me, the, the, the starting place is, I mean, it can be very superficial. Uh, like what's your favorite movie? You know, nobody has it right. And, and it can go from, oh, that's interesting. That's your favorite movie. What was it about that movie? Right. And you can stay in that inquiry started by them, by the way, right? When you ask the question, but they're, they're picking the, the, you know, where the pole gets planted in the ground and then moving from there and say, okay, so, so that's interesting. So what's really important to you? Why, why is that important? Why was that movie as opposed to all the other movies particularly important to you? Is there something in your life, right? That it touched or did it remind you of something? And, you know, if you stay with it, you can, you can get to what people really care about. You know, and, and that is, that is the moment where our humanity becomes visible. Definitely. And, and as soon as that is visible, you know, it, it's, it sometimes can take your breath away and you just can appreciate that moment. Say, oh, I really see you as a human being. Right. Mm -hmm. And thank you for being visible. Yeah. And of course, some people go right from there, you know, and basically disappear because that was a scary moment for them. You have to be careful not to, you know, not to kind of jump on it that way. But some people are so appreciative of actually being listened to. I think most people, I think yeah. that it's such a gift um, yeah. to be listened to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know we've been trying to practice that, you know, in our online gatherings where we we will get into these of course everything's online right now but get into these small breakout rooms and have these guidelines for sharing where people don't respond where they are just listening and really teaches you something about yourself and your understanding when someone listens just that active active position of listening um yeah <clears throat> creates self-knowledge um <laughs> probably on both probably on both sides so I want to tie this into associative economics a little bit because I think these this is all connected. Um, I feel like I am still learning. Some people will call it um, threefolding, or they'll have different different words for it. Um, but I feel like associative economics has a listening quality in it somehow, um, and has a, a way of um, really seeing. So could you, could you just tell people a little bit about associative economics and like, do you think, am I, am I saying something there that there is a, a quality of listening in it in a way? Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the, the whole, first of all, the, the word associative still has soci in it, which is about, right, social. So it is a social process. That's number one. And um, economics is really about how we serve each other's needs. I'm oversimplifying, but serve each other's needs in the material world, right? So conversation is a way of serving each other 
in the listening that you just described, serving each other really more from a cultural, spiritual perspective. Economics is about how we do the same, but in the material world. Right? So you have a need, I have a need, we make sure that needs get met. How do we recognize that uh, the, the needs of another human being? Um, so an associative economy is basically a picture where a, a so I'm going to take very abstract words first, then we can get it be pretty practical. But the abstract is a producer, right? Because in economics, people produce things. In economics, people consume things, right? And then there are the folks who sit between the producer and the consumer who are the distributors, right? So they take the products and make sure all those products get distributed to the right. And everybody has a stake in the economic process in that way. So that's a picture of a kind of a whole system. And the mystery piece in, the, in that is um, if you go to the supermarket and you see the price tag on a, a, a jar of juice, for example, it doesn't really matter, box of cereal, it, it doesn't really matter. And you say, how did they set that price, right? And if you were to ask the grocer, for example, so how did this price get set? Tell me how it is that, you know, a box of cereal costs, you know, $1.29 or $3.95, whatever it is. They will not be able to tell you that. They'll tell you, well, that's what the distributor, uh, you know, said it costs. That's wholesale plus. I get my 10% markup, right? And then you, so you go to the distributor and say, how did, how did the manufacturer set the price, <laughs> right? And they won't know, but they'll know whatever the manufacturer told them, the producer told them, and they added 10% because they needed their 10% off of it. But there's no way to really know what the price means, right? It's just charge what the traffic will bear. So if people at the other end of the, the consumer will pay, you know, $50 for that box of cereal, well, charge it, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, this is California, so you might as well yeah, charge $50 really. for the box of cereal. <laughs> yeah. Golden <Especially> nuggets, <laughs> so golden nugget cereal. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. You got it. There we go. That's what I'm talking about, John Bloom. <laughs> uh, so, um, so if you really take price as an indicator of whole system and the price actually is not about one person's needs, right? And the mystery and everybody else kind of has to dance around that, but actually is about uh, keeping the whole system moving so that it can continue on into the future, then actually that price has to make sure that everybody's needs are met, right? So you, the producer needs to have enough capital coming back to reinvest and keep doing new things. The distributor has to earn a living so that they can get their trucks and move things. And the consumer, you know, needs, they, they just have endless supply. They need to be able to get the product at a reasonable price. So, so if you put all of those needs into the mix, you come up with a price that actually meets everybody's needs. And there's a human dimension to it because everybody's needs have to be brought present into that conversation, so to speak. That to me is a radically different way of price setting, for example, and price being the, you know, that's again, it's the indicator. It's not a thing, it's an indicator of a value to the whole system um, is very different than the market system, which is totally untransparent. Uh, we don't even know, we do know in some cases, manufacturers are, are polluting, but then they're externalizing those costs. The public has to pick up all the, you know, the trash from it, they're not paying for that. So it's almost impenetrable uh, how prices get set. It's a little game, right? In an associative economy, 
it's not a game because you have consumers who are actually saying, well, we think we need X, Y, and Z this year. And the producers say, we can do it for this much. And then it distributes it and we need to, and then you put all that together and A, there's less waste because in a, in a market economy, so to speak, you have to produce nine cars in order to sell one, or you have to produce 10 shirts in order to sell one, right? Associative economy, in some senses, you're actually, the production is driven by the actual need at the other end. Right. So there's no waste. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I can't even imagine that. I mean, <laughs> at this point, no. I walk into the grocery store or whatever, and I think, how is this even functioning? You know, it, it's just so huge and so hard to understand what's actually going on in every shelf right. and in every aisle. <laughs> well, and, and uh, right. How many boxes of cereal do they need to have in there to sell different brands? Right. And um, yeah. So uh I mean, it's somewhat the same when you walk down to your bank. If you ask the teller saying, here's, you know, here's my $15 to add to my account. What are you going to do with this? Right. And they'll say, well, where's my money working? Well, most banks, they have no clue. Right. All they, all they do is they promise you, you're going to get your $15 back with maybe a little interest on it. Right. Uh, there's no transparency in that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. so, there's no communication for sure. I mean, the communication has stopped very early in the process and doesn't right. come all the way to the people that are actually interacting with the processes. So, Not at um, all. yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, right. So you're saying it's, it's in this way, it is social. This, this. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, because it's based on relationships and those relationships require interest in each other and recognizing, I mean, almost everybody who's a producer is also a consumer, right? And everybody who's a consumer probably produces something. They may produce culture as opposed to, you know, producing a thing, but we're all enmeshed in this interdependent system. And, you know, unless you wanna go off to the mountain and grow all your own clothes and grow all your own food and, you know, and all the rest, um, you know, you're economic. And you are dependent, you actually are dependent on other people to be able to get done what you've done. Can we make that visible? Mm -hmm. And if we make it visible, then how, do we, how can we be in conversation such that the actually, quote, the money or whatever the value system is you want to use actually is supporting the human initiative as opposed to somebody sitting somewhere in that system busily extracting from it? Mm. It's like mining. It's like... <laughs> right, right. It, well, it, exactly. Uh -huh. It is. I mean, you know, if the only way to uh, explain, for example, the wealth gap, huge inequity is that some people are extracting and others are, you know, kind of doing the work and not extracting, right? So from a, a value perspective, and that's oversimplifying, but ultimately in an extractive economy, the folks who somehow they control all the extracting end up with all the capital. Yeah, and then the people in the mine end up with, you know, black lungs and you know what I mean? It's really right, sure. interesting. I mean, we're back at the gold nugget cereal, yeah. but um, so, yeah, so, I can ex get that picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so actually, I mean, wealth is uh, not produced by an individual. Wealth is produced out of this, out of meeting needs in a system, right? So, so how is it that individuals 
how is it that we set up a, in a sense a marketplace system where the individuals accrue the wealth that's actually been produced by a community? Where is this work? Tell me where we could see this at work. Well, uh, <laughs> um, well, first of all, I, I'm not speaking Marxist language just to be really clear. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, uh, it's not, I'm not exactly anti-capitalist, but I'm looking at how capital, capital can actually serve uh, sort of human relationships and human activity, right? As opposed to we use human activity to produce capital. So uh, there are, I mean, if I were just to say to you, um, if you were looking in the United States, the growth of the cooperative movement is huge. Now in a cooperative, uh, everybody's an owner. Right. Right. So there is a kind of an equitable part and there are producer cooperatives, there are consumer cooperatives, and there's now a new form and distributor cooperatives but there's a whole new form that's now emerging, which is the producer consumer distributor cooperative where all those voices are present. That's an associative picture and that's a legal form now. Certainly started in, in Wisconsin and I think now in Minnesota and you know, growing slowly but sure. That's a picture of an associative economy emerging. The origins of the community supported agriculture movement all started in an associative economic modality where you know, the farmer would say, you know, here's my budget for the year. I can grow food for 100 people. 100 people will come together and say, okay, the cost of a share is, you know, uh, um, let's say it's $1,000 to buy by 100. So, you know, that's their cost of the share. And then the farmer at that moment, um, it, first of all, knows they're going to be supported for the year, right? And they're not being paid for their labor because they're being supported for the year. And the food is not being bought because there's no correlation between the share of support for the farm and the cost of the food. Mm -hmm. So there's no direct correlation either. Actually, it's really about how the community is supporting the livelihood and benefiting from, right, the farmer's work. And with transparency, because they should have had a say in the budget. Right. So that's good. Yeah. That makes me feel like I'm engaged in a couple of those things at least in some way. And like what I'm seeing right now is like you said, it it really, it really is about relationship. I mean, just and I think I think as a society, we are getting sort of better at acknowledging all the different people involved in something that it comes comes out as a product or an offering, like all the way back to who like made those stitches on that item of clothing. And like, I feel like we are trying to be more transparent. Um, it's actually being asked for more and more of this transparency. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so, so I'm gonna go back to my grocery store right now so i walked <laughs> okay. i walked in there i walked in there the other i'm not gonna go there right now but i'm gonna go there with you um i walked in there the other day and it, it kind of felt like a little like armageddon like <laughs> and it, it's been feeling like that i think i don't think they ever really caught up since the this is the big grocery store not the co-op the co-op feels pretty good um i have to say but they're just like shelves with like lots of stuff missing or like certain times there's like nothing in stock and and it's so far away from me to understand why can't they get this product in like I have no idea why that particular thing is always out on the shelves and I'm not talking about toilet paper I'm talking right. about like the 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 
the black beans, they're always missing or like what, whatever, there's just something that's not gone, but that's gone, but there's no way for me to understand it. So if I was in this sort of, if that grocery store were in relationship with the people that were a part of it, um, we would, I would have more of an understanding and be able to, it wouldn't feel so um, tenuous and scary in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in, in fairness to, uh, what am I being fair to? The time, I think generally, um, there's a lot of fear in, in society right now. And that fear, uh, primarily pandemic related, uh, of, you know, um, the scariest thing for a person is never having enough, right? It, because it, it, people who don't, and there are way, way, way too many of them, people don't have enough are, it's a different operating system. So all those black beans might've been bought by one person who was afraid they weren't gonna have enough, right? There's no way that a supermarket who has, um, kind of a rhythm and uh, almost a kind of a ritual, like we're ordering these, they come in, we'll put them on the shelves, people will buy them, right? And and basically does its business based on patterns of right, purchase. Uh, people are not operating on their normal patterns because they're operating on a kind of system of fear. So if you're kind of moving on a you know your normal pattern and the store is trying to move on its normal pattern, but there are some folks who are not, then things get out of balance. So basically, if you're looking at an empty shelf, you're looking at the result of imbalance, hmm. right? That's what it's an indicator of. So if then on top of you are saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. I have a right to my can of black beans. How dare they not have them? Then, you know, then there's a kind of, uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm partly teasing you, but I'm also quite serious. We have, we walk into stores with a certain expectation that what we either need or want should be there for us. It's a right and entitlement. Well, actually economics is not about rights and entitlements. Economics is, are my needs being met and am I meeting other people's needs, right? And so it's, a, I mean, of course, uh, there are rights, you have a right to be in the store and all the rest, but it's just that the foundation for it is around the circulation of needs. And, you know, if you think of a, a human body and a wound in a human body, well, the blood uh, actually is more focused on the wound at a certain time. So, so other parts of the body maybe not get as much as they're used to in a way that's okay, but the, the, the sacrifice is there. So you're looking at a little bit of a wound. That's what that hmm. challenge is in the market where you know, the system has been put out of balance. And yeah, that's because we, we've been put out of balance. There's no question about it. Absolutely. That's a really, I like that picture of the blood, you know, it goes there, it goes to the wound, you know, the, 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 it tries to clot, the bruise shows up, like all, all of these things as related to it, it's super visible. And yeah. so that's, that's what we're seeing. And maybe that's what we're seeing in our social interactions too, is that blood flowing towards all of our wounds right now so you see people walking around it's it's so obvious that it's so apparent that the those wounds are there and that it's in in the lack of discourse or in the or in the way discourse is or isn't happening um yeah you can see you can see where the blood went <laughs> pretty mm -hmm. quickly 
because of imbalance or because of wound or fear? Yeah, I mean, I do think, um, um, so you raised the question of threefolding. And um, so I, 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 I kind of want to leave the blood metaphor behind because um, in a way you can only take it so far in a way. Sure. But, but the whole point of threefolding is uh, creating a system of equilibrium, of balance, right? And um, the, the point is if, the, if say people's rights are being trodden on, or they're being discriminated against or otherwise. That is a situation in which the rights are being treated inequitably, right? Um, I think there's a spiritual lead in there too of how we see another human being. If they're not being seen, that's also, you know, counter to what I would say, spiritual law, that every individual is, as I said earlier, it shows up on the earth to get something done. And so they're a spiritual human being um, but if, you know, it comes into the realm of rights, which is, you know, when you have more than one person, you got, you have to create agreements and, you know, three people, and then it gets, so you need whole bodies of agreements. If the agreements are structured to treat one person inequitably, right, then that is not a system that is in equilibrium. So if you have a rights system that's out of equilibrium, it's gonna throw the cultural system out of equilibrium and the economic system out of equilibrium. That's the beauty of seeing, you know, the beauty, beauty is probably not there, where it's the ugliness and the beauty, right? Of a whole system. And the question is like, if it's out of balance, where do you do the work to bring it back into equilibrium? And some people would say, we have to work in the culture. Some people say, no, we have to work in the rights. Some people will say, no, let's change the economy and, you know, figure making an associative economy. Because if we actually work truly in an associative economy, the rights will start to settle in relation to that. And therefore, and the culture will start to settle in relation to that in a place of you. So you can work in any of those three sectors. But if you think it's just one sector and not the other two, yeah, it's hard to get to the equilibrium. That's so good. I, I know from my count, my counselor ed um, program, I remember hearing about, you know, in family therapy, in, th in family therapy, the IP, the identified patient. And it was always like, you know, there's one kid that's really acting out, but you can't just treat that one kid. You have to treat the whole family. You have to look at the whole family and everybody has to work together to, to, to address the, the issue. So um, just, just expecting, a fix in one area isn't again it's that whole wholeness that you talked about in the very beginning of exactly the interview. Right. yeah 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 it's so so i mean wholeness as opposed to a fixed thing wholeness is of course a a living process and um one could say that the next layer within that wholeness is equilibrium right so if health is defined as being in a place of equilibrium if we wanted to find it in that way, then the work to remain whole is to remain conscious of how to keep the equilibrium happening, mm -hmm. right? And the work to do to bring that back into balance, or I need to work over here because, you know, the whole economic picture is not, well, is that, do I just fix the economy or do I have to, is there something wrong in the way this is structured, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a cultural issue here that I'm not addressing that is maybe showing up in the economic sector? Yeah, that's good. I feel like if I, if I just break it down into another super simple example, like 
if I, <laughs> if I'm not feeling great and I'm like, okay, well, I need to, to exercise more, then that that's maybe going to affect my sleep. And then that's maybe going to affect my ability to show up and be present with people. Like it all, it all interconnects, but you do well, have to start well, somewhere, right? Yeah. And it will also change your diet, right? Right. 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 And, and, and if it changes your diet, it's also going to change your shopping habits. And if you try shopping habits change, it changes the economy. Right. Right. And, right. And then you can have a conversation about, you know, price. And so we're never just from that perspective, it, it, the system is always whole. The question is, can we, it's a mindfulness question. Can we be mindful that if we're, you know, um, uh, in a cultural conversation that every cultural conversation has implications for economic life and the rights life as well. Right. Absolutely. Right. But can we get there through a path of, well, in Steiner's terms, a path of freedom, right? Yeah. Through, well, I mean, that's like a whole other podcast interview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking of your example. So we have the black lives matter movement and that comes out of a, a problem in the in the area of rights, and and then a very quickly we see all the economic things that maybe people didn't understand about systemic racism or things like that that come out that are so connected to economics, and so then you start to see the whole picture um, get addressed and and emerge and or hopefully get addressed or at least be seen. So yeah. Well, and and I would have to say that. Um, it is a view into whole system and how out of out of equilibrium, if I can call it that, uh, how out of equilibrium the system has become, right? And th th that racism is a manifestation of that. I mean, that's just one. There are many, many, but for me, I mean, since you mentioned about Black Lives Matter, and it, it has an economic component and a rights component and a cultural spiritual component. Definitely the cultural spiritual component for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's a human all... being, and how do we see that? Right, exactly. I mean, I think the same thing happened with the feminist movement too. It was like, oh, we're not getting paid equally. Also, we're being sexually harassed. <laughs> so there's like economics, and you know, then you've got the the sphere of rights, and then yeah, and then how are we perceived as people or not as people? Really interesting. Hmm. So okay, General Secretary. What, what do you think? <laughs> just so you know, everybody just sat up very straight in his seat <laughs> and took a drink of coffee. <laughs> um, and wondered if they were talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are in this very interesting position. We're in a new year of 2021, um, depending on people, when people are tuning in. What do you think we need to move forward coming out of this really illuminating and strange year of 2020 with the possibility maybe of something new. So let me ask a question first. When you say we, who's we? Oh, just all of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could speak to a just place. <laughs> all of humanity, not so much. <laughs> I mean, uh, who, I mean, you're speaking to me and you're speaking right. to, yeah, yeah. So, you know, as, as people that are in a spiritual stream, maybe. Yeah. And yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think, um, you know, in a way you're asking a question of right action, right? What, what should we do? 
And I don't know that there's a necessarily a we-ness in that until, until I discern what's right action for me, what I need to do. And that might be use my voice, use my, the position that I have to speak in a way. And it may be that, and maybe not. Uh, it could be how I spend my I don't know uh, how I spend my money or, you know, other, hard to say, and maybe it's all. Um, but I, I have to discern what's right action for me out of my capacities and my strengths. Um, if you think, okay, right action for the future is to send me off to grow your food, we're gonna starve to death, right? Uh, <laughs> um, if it is engaging in conversation and cultivating really deep, profound, transformational conversation, I'm there. I can, you know, I, I you know, do that. If it's conflict, that's okay. Um, so that's number one, is to say, what is it that I, I actually can do of a healing nature? And that may be just practicing interest in others and asking them and engaging in conversation what they really care about, because that is what I call the beginning of a, a kind of a radiant process. Meaning if somebody feels like somebody was paying attention to them, maybe they would want to turn around and give that gift to somebody else. And maybe that somebody else would want to give that gift to somebody else, right? So it begins kind of changing the, the warmth field, right? So um, it, it could be that I need to start painting more and putting more paintings and maybe I need to take my paintings and stick them out in the front of the house or something that people have an aesthetic experience that, you know, it, I, that's what I can do, right? And Different people can do different things, but the question that you're asking is, um, if I have a spiritual practice, then I have to ask my question, so that what, right? And you could say part of that is probably preparing for, you know, um, after death and next lives and however you want to look at that. You could say that that is actually, um, I actually have a spiritual practice so that I can discern right action and be of service to whoever. Could be another human being, it could be to an organization, it could be out in the streets protesting, who knows, right? Um, so that's what I can do. Hmm. Thank you so much. I feel like it's an individual question and hopefully and i know so many of us are asking it right now so i'm yeah, i'm really yeah. it, it it is an individual question if i felt that my gift was um i want to say community organizing right and and if i had that gift and capacity and don't exercise it now that's not that won't help anybody right it doesn't help me and actually doesn't so if there are people who are really good at that if there are people who are really good at law and policy change and that's their capacity now's the time to get active and you know do that it's just i think not reasonable to think every, everybody can change everything it's too it's too much but if each each person is taking on what they can do collectively things will shift mm -hmm. and it takes a certain i guess for lack of a word certain inner courage to do that mm -hmm. and so we also need to support each other in in showing up in that way I found this conversation very supportive and I'm, I'm very thankful to have had some time with you. Is there, is there anything that you didn't get to share that you, you want to share right now? We, we covered a lot of, of territory. I guess I'd have to say that um, 
gift of a path of self-knowledge is a tremendous gift and it's probably the hardest gift to actually receive and and work on and uh that when one goes that path and understanding that um the reflection of of progress on that path is actually going to come from the world not from me it'll come from the world right so be on that path but be attentive to the world is speaking and what it's asking of you thank you thank you so much sean and i really do hope you put some of your paintings out on your front lawn and when you do that can you please call me because you have a beautiful painting right behind you and i'd like to pick that up and take it with me um because i didn't not mention what a, an amazing artist you are too um so socially and visually thank you so much sean bloom and uh look forward to talking with you again i'll probably be talking to you like in a few hours about work <laughs> this was a special moment thank you thanks all right bye thanks for joining us today on the anthroposopher stay tuned for our next episode